everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the DHG podcast series. I'm Alice Gray Harrison, your host, Director of Corporate Communications for DHG. We are in an unprecedented time in U.S. history. Many, if not most, of us are under stay-at-home orders. Working from home, managing family responsibilities, you know, and then there are others of us who are home alone without a lot of social connection. There are a lot of things that are causing stress. The days are long and we're all feeling anxiety in the unknowns of what tomorrow might look like. So at times like this, we must look to the future and remain optimistic and have hope for better days to come because we know we will emerge from this. And at DHG, we know that together we're going to emerge from this. So over the next few weeks, we hope to share stories that are about hope. Stories about people who have overcome obstacles and risen to the challenge. People who truly exemplify hope. You know, we can learn a lot from their wisdom. And they can be a beacon for us as we search for our own hope in these uncharted waters. Joining me today is Valerie Gibson. She's an administrative professional in our Nashville office. Three years ago, Valerie was diagnosed with a brain disease called, oh, I'm going to mess this up, Valerie. You say it. (laughs) (laughs) Moya Moya disease. Moya Moya disease. Valerie was only 28 years old. She began suffering TIA strokes and a larger stroke that caused brain damage and put her in the ICU. And she truly did not know at that point what her future would hold. Two brain surgeries later, and after immense changes in her life, Valerie is joining us today to share her own story of hope. Now, before we get into Valerie's story, I just have to say she and I had an opportunity to catch up before this conversation, and she is one of the most humble people who I've ever met. And it was really important for her that others understood that she was sharing, she won't say this, that's why I'm saying this, that she is sharing this as a way of helping others and not as a way of getting attention. She's been through something that brought about I mean, more change than probably all of us are feeling even today. And she learned to focus on hope as a way to manage through these challenging times. So I just wanted to say that because she really is humble and is so kind to share her story with us. Welcome, Valerie. Hi. <laughs> okay. So, Valerie, your story is about survival and hope. Can you tell us just briefly, you know, the Cliff Notes version of what you've been through? Yes, so in June of 2016, I went, my roommate took me to the emergency room. I thought I was having some kind of like anxiety attack. My words were very kind of jumbled and I wasn't making a lot of sense. And so when we got to the hospital, my roommate took me to a triple medical center in Nashville. And thankfully, they are actually one of the top stroke hospitals. And they recognized almost immediately what was going on. And they got me into the emergency room very quickly and started running a lot of tests. And I had a CAT scan, an MRI, and a few hours later, I had a team of doctors at my bedside. And they told me that I had this disease called Moya Moya, which is 
pretty uncommon. It's about one in 500,000 people have this disease. So it was something that I had never even heard of before. And basically, slowly over time, the blood vessels in my brain started to narrow, which caused me to start having strokes. It wasn't anything that like a diet could fix or because I had been eating carbs or whatever. (laughs) It was just, it was truly something that I was born with. And, but I didn't present symptoms until later in, in my 20s. So I had never had any kind of reason to believe that this would, you know, be come about. I did start have the year and a half year before I had had TIA strokes, but honestly, I didn't even really know what a TIA stroke was at that time. Because no one thinks like, oh, I'm having a stroke in my 20s. Right. And so I thought it was attributed to stress because of the TIA stroke, your symptoms kind of, all of your symptoms go away. So everything, I would have a, you know, numbness on one side of my body, that kind of thing, but everything would go away after 10 minutes or so. So it was something that I was concerned about, but I only, I had probably three or four. And then after that is when I have a bigger stroke, which put me in the hospital. While I was in the hospital, they did tell me that the only thing that they could do for Moya Moya, the only thing that they can do for it is brain surgery. Wow. Brain surgery, (laughs) when someone first tells you that you have to have brain surgery, you're like, oh. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, I have never knew anyone that had brain surgery, so I had no idea even what to expect. But I had brain surgery in the last day of June, and that was my first brain surgery, and then I had brain surgery again the following year on the right side of my brain. So when we first went into the hospital, my brain surgeon showed me the scans from the Cascade MRI. And if you looked at my MRI on the left side of my brain, you could only see one blood vessel. That is how much blood flow I have lost this disease. So the surgery, they drill into your skull, attach an artery, to the skull, and then it creates new blood vessels. So now I have a brain full of tons of new blood vessels, which is pretty cool. That is quite a story. So I'm going off script for a second, but just to give people context. So what was the span of time that we're talking, that you were in the hospital, and then what about your recovery? So I was in the hospital in the ICU, when I went towards the beginning of June, middle of June, for probably about seven or so days. And then my brother was actually getting married a few days later. And I was a, my surgeon cleared me to go to the wedding and all of that. And then I had brain surgery three days later in Nashville. And then that surgery, I actually did have a few complications. So I was in the hospital for about eight days. 
there was some swelling in the area that they did the surgery. Mm-hmm. So I was having some complications. I didn't know my name or wow. my birthday. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have been in the hospital before, but the nurses and doctors are waking you up all the time. So I was getting no sleep anyway. But they were having to wake me up every hour up to hour and a half to ask me what my birthday was, where we were, that kind of thing. Wow. And because of where they did, or where the swelling was on my brain on, on the left side, I was not cognitively aware of my birthday or even, I couldn't tell them sometimes like what my name was. Or to them, it just sounded like very jumbled. Yeah. So they had to do, which they did an emergency MRI and those kinds of things. And thankfully, I had not had another stroke. But they put me on a steroid to help with the swelling. And I never had any other problems after that. The second surgery, I actually was out of the hospital in two and a half days. Wow. It was pretty, they got you, I guess, in and out pretty quick. In that surgery, I didn't have any issues at all. So I went back home, and I went back to work probably, I think it was six to eight weeks. The first surgery was eight weeks since I had a few issues, and I was still, the first surgery, I was actually still recovering from my stroke, Mm -hmm. and so my body was still just very worn out. Mm -hmm. But the, the second surgery, I went back to work after six weeks. That is just remarkable. So tell me... Through all of this, I know there had to have been moments that were very dark. How did you find hope? I think, kind of, I know it sounds maybe like the cliche answers, but my faith and then also my family, I couldn't even be by myself after my surgeries or after my stroke. So my mom had to come to Nashville and stay with me and help take care of me. I actually lost. From that stroke, I lost all of my peripheral vision, and so I was not cleared to drive, and so my mom had to go get my groceries, and I was very homebound, Mm -hmm. and so having, I guess, a support system was really, really important. I sound kind of silly, but I watched a lot of baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so summertime, so I would watch all the St. Louis Cardinals baseball games, and And I guess finding those things that can take your mind off of whatever you are worried about or anxious about is something that is helpful, too. Both of those. I mean, both resonate with me just thinking about what we're going through, which is nothing compared to, you know, what you've been through. You and I talked for a little bit about humor when we previously touched base. And you said humor played a, a big role in your recovery. Can you tell tell me more about humor? Yeah, so obviously having a brain injury is pretty serious. But, like, after I recovered, and during that time, things were obviously not funny. But now, when I look back on it, or my family looks back on it, and the times when I said, you know, things, you know, out of place or that didn't make sense, Things, like, we can just look back on that now and and laugh and not in a negative way to say that, you know, that it's funny or that anyone who's going through that, but it's funny. But from a personal standpoint, I think 
sometimes you just have to like laugh, laugh at whatever it is. Yeah, to help get us through. I've, you and I talked about this, but I've read this interesting article about, you know, just looking at the lighter side of things does indeed help get through hard times. So, you know, before we, we conclude, if someone is listening and, and they're feeling anxious, which we all are feeling a little anxious, what advice can you offer to help build a hope and optimism in their spirit? I think for me, it was just learning that I could not control the situation. I have this disease and there's nothing that I can do about it now. And it is not something that's going to spread to other people. It's just me. And there's just nothing that I can do about it to change it. And this is just how my life is now. And that was something that I also think it's important for people to grieve that. Mm -hmm. So, like grieving what my old life was and what it not I mean I live a very normal life now so it's not to say that I still I don't have any stroke symptoms or anything like that but my life changed very quickly and very fast and so I think just knowing that I cannot control everything was really important for me and just leaning on people and family and friends are supportive and love you and are there for you when you're going through like a hard time and just focusing on yourself too and what you need. Valerie, that's amazing advice. And you are so courageous to share your story and share your wisdom and share your hope with us. So thank you very much. No problem. I appreciate you asking me to do this. Yes, and we are proud of you and so happy that you are part of our 1DHG team. And thank you all for listening to Life at DHG, our premier podcast series. These are truly unprecedented times, but we're in this together. We are 1DHG, and I hope that you'll join us next time for another edition of Life at DHG. In the meantime, stay safe and stay well.